Okay, good morning. If everyone would please stand for the scripture reading. Okay, here we go. Verse 1. So this is the Ten Commandments um, that Moses brought down after spending 40 days and 40 nights on Mount Sinai. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. You shall, no, you shall have no gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, I am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the, in the land the Lord is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and, Moses, and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us, or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you, so that the fear of the Lord will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Let's remain standing as we pray. Lord, the people in this story did not want you to speak to them. They were too afraid. But Lord, we... In humility and boldness, Lord, we know that you are a loving God, full of compassion. We know that you've given us these commands to actually give us freedom. And so, Lord, we invite you to speak to us today. Lord, would you do that? Speak to our hearts, open our minds, open our hearts to you, Lord, that we might receive from you your wisdom, your prophecy, your intimate words into our hearts and minds. And Lord, we pray this in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the people of God shouted, Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. We are starting a new series, a new sermon series on the Ten Commandments. Happy Father's Day. Seems uh, one of the commandments is to honor your father and mother. So we'll, we'll get there. We'll get to that. But happy Sunday to all of you. And I want to say something that this passage is an invitation to get out of slavery. Think about the words Dan just read. It starts off with, I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt. And in case there's anyone in here that's confused, like what, what is that? Well, that was a land of 
slavery. The Lord took them out of the land of slavery and gave them these rules, these laws, these commands, and these things actually bring freedom. And so we're going to celebrate that. We're going to talk about that today. I'm going to come at the conclusion of this sermon and share a story about this point that I will hopefully make throughout this uh, morning today, that we all worship something. It's just a matter of what we worship, which goes along with the first command. We'll get there today. So first point this morning, first of three points, is that the Ten Commandments are for today. Amen? Amen. Amen. They're for today. I think besides Psalm 23, besides the Lord's Prayer, besides John 3.16, besides maybe the Beatitudes, the Ten Commandments have to be the top five most popular scriptures in the Bible. Many people who don't even go to church, they, they know many of them, they know some of them. And so these are the most important scriptures to us. They are, uh, I guess, of among all the scriptures, these are up there. These are the top scriptures of the entire Bible. These scriptures are written on tablets that Moses brings down. And these, no other scriptures, but these are the ones that end up being in the Ark of the Covenant that is put in the Holy of Holies. These are the scriptures. These Ten Commandments are the ones that we hold most dear. Jesus talks about them quite a bit. On the Sermon of the Mound, if you, if you look at Matthew chapter 5, Jesus refers to the Ten Commandments. So some people might say, oh, well, these are just the old ways of doing things. Well, Jesus brings them up and he says things in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, like you have heard it said, do not commit murder. Well, where would people have heard that? The Ten Commandments, it's number six. You have heard it said, don't commit murder. Yes, it's one of the commandments, but Jesus takes it up a notch. And by notch, I mean like blows it out of the water. He says, you've heard it says, don't commit murder. But I tell you, if you even hate someone, that's like murder. If you even call someone a bad name, that's like murder. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Where, where in the world would people have heard that? Ten Commandments, number seven, don't commit adultery. And Jesus takes it up a notch. And by notch, I mean like blows it out of the water once again. It says, don't even look at someone with lust or you will be in, uh, guilty of committing adultery. Jesus, someone could say, well, these aren't these Ten Commandments, weren't they fulfilled? You know, didn't Jesus come and fulfill them? Yes, he did fulfill them, and he takes them up a notch. Here's what is exactly said. We'll put it up here on the screen. Matthew 5, 17, the words of Jesus talking about the rules and the laws, the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to Fulfill them, yes, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it's all accomplished. Verse 19 says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be great in the kingdom of heaven. So there it is. Jesus is saying, yeah, I've, I've fulfilled them. I haven't gotten away. We, we're not saying they're no longer, but they are still here for today. Jesus fulfills them. So one other thing people could say is, um, well, what about grace? You know, do we have to follow the t- Ten Commandments to go to heaven? Aren't we all just under grace? You know, don't we talk about grace here in church? Yes, 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 yes. We talk about grace. We are covered by grace. That is how we are saved, not by works so that no one can boast. We have grace covering us, but isn't it by grace? 
grace that we get to fulfill the Ten Commandments. Of course, we don't, we, we could never look at the Ten Commandments and say, oh yeah, I've done all of these things, checked all those boxes, I don't need the grace of God. That's not how it works. Instead, we receive the grace of God, and with that grace, we go about our lives trying to fulfill God's laws and decrees and commands in these ten the Ten Commandments are like a compass and that it shows us true morality. The Ten Commandments are like a thermometer showing us how warm we are to what is really true. The Ten Commandments are like a mirror showing us ourselves. And if we look at the New Testament like Galatians, we see that Paul says, we know what sin is because we see the law. We look at the Ten Commandments and we should, each and every one of us, look at them and say, yeah, I've fallen short on this one and that one and this one and, and, and this one. If, 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 these, if I, I can't even look at my brother with anger that I've committed a murder, well then uh, who isn't guilty? We are all guilty. We look at the Ten Commandments like a mirror. We see that we are not perfect and we need grace, which leads us to the cross. The Ten Commandments are like a road sign pointing us to Jesus. Think about your... Um, Job. How many of you have uh, maybe either are in a job or have had a job? Maybe you're retired. Uh, but how many of you had a job for 10 years, the same job for 10 years of your life? Anybody? Quite a few people. Now, if you had a job for 10 years and you still love the company, you loved your job, and you're moving on to something else, and this young whippersnapper comes in to take your job, and you want them to succeed, you want the company to succeed, wouldn't you want some time with that person to tell them, well, here's some things you should do. Here's some rules. Here's some things that, you know, the company really values this and that, and you should do this. First thing in the morning, every morning, you should do this and do that. Those of you that have had a job a long time, don't you think that's what you would want? You know, you'd want some time to say, here's some things that'll be successful. You want to be successful. The company wants you to be successful. Here's some things. You would have some advice for this person, right? Right. And so I think the Lord, with his infinite knowledge, he is the creator of all. He made us. He knows us. He knows the world. It's like him sitting down and saying, here's some rules for you to follow. Here's the best advice I can give you. Follow these rules and you will be successful. And yet, these are not the 10 uh, good ideas. These are not 10 uh, life hacks for you to follow. These are not the 10 good suggestions. Some of you think that like the speed limit is just a suggestion for all those other idiots that don't know how to drive. That's not like these are 10 commands. These are things the Lord is commanding us to do. And these are things that, that we are not just supposed to know about. These are things we are supposed to do. Imagine a husband and a wife uh, with lots of money going on different vacations, and the husband's like, oh, well, we want to go on a vacation. Uh, wouldn't it be cool to go to the Middle East? Wouldn't it be cool? The husband's like, wouldn't it be awesome if we went to the place of Mount Sinai, the actual mountain, climbed to the top, and wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't it be this great show of how God, uh, how great God is if we got to the top of Mount Sinai and we shouted the Ten Commands? And the wife's response, as only a wife could respond, said, you know, what if we just stayed home and kept the Ten Commandments? <laughs> Wouldn't that be a greater show of how great God is? Point number two is this. The Ten Commands reveal God's character in our calling. This is the subtitle of this sermon series, New Life North, New Life Downtown, New Life Friday Night. Uh, Nueva Vida, our Spanish congregation, we are all in the same series talking about the Ten Commands and the, the underlining motto, the 
theme of this sermon series is God's character in our calling. And we see that here in the Ten Commandments. I'll explain in just a second. But this is often called, uh, in Greek, the Septuagint. Uh, the Ten Commands are called the Decalogue, the Ten Words. In Hebrew, uh, oftentimes in the Hebrew language, it's just referred to the Decade of Words or the Ten Words. These are the ten most important commands that God gives us in his scripture. And they're divided. So there's ten. We have ten fingers. They're divided four and six And this could help us for any of us uh, maybe ever put on the spot, uh, maybe go home today and see if you can name all 10 commands, take take a test by yourself or in front of people to see if you can name all 10. It's not that easy. In fact, uh, years ago in 2006, there was a congressman and it kind of blew up into this really funny story, uh, making fun of this guy, which poor guy, he's he's a Christian, he's a believer, kind of makes us all look bad. But for whatever it's worth, this congressman was head uh, of trying to get the Ten Commandments in courthouses and in the Congress and in the Senate. And in 2006, he was, I won't even say the, the name of the, the comedian, but he was on the show that kind of made fun of political things and had this guy in the show on this interview. And he was saying, you know, interviewing him about the Ten Commands. And yeah, what, you know, why do you want them in, in the courthouses? Why do you want them in the Senate and the Congress building? And he's, oh, it's the, it's the best thing. You know, we, we need to have them there. It's, you know, people governing and making laws. Great, great, great. And then the, the political satirist, the the interviewer said, well, what are the Ten Commands? And he was like, uh, you want me to name them? And he said, yeah, can I name them. Can you name them? And he was like, well, there's, uh, uh, you know, there's uh, uh, the don't lie, uh, don't steal nothing, uh, don't, don't murder. And, uh, uh, and he just went blank. and was like, I can't do it. I, I don't know. I, I can't do this. <laughs> and he got three out of the ten. That's horrible. It makes us all look bad. So here's the Ten Commandments. This should help you. They're broken down. There's, there's a group of four and there's a group of six. The group of four, and, and some of you, uh, this might be news to you, but it will really help you throughout this series. It will really help you in life. It will really help you think about and connect through uh, how important the commandments are and what they are. The first four all have to do with us and God. These are all the first four are all vertical commands. These are ones that do not have other gods, no images, do not take the name of the Lord in vain. And the fourth one is to honor the Sabbath. These are things that we do before God. And if we keep these ones, the, the thought is, well, we, then we have a chance of keeping the other six. The other six have to do with people, how we relate to others. And it, it, it has to do, the, the five are honor your father, father and mother, happy Father's Day, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not lie, and do not covet. So if you have this order, you know, we think about the Ten Commandments. If you even begin to keep these six, well, then you need to keep the first four. Let me explain. If someone lies, that's commandment number lie. Uh, commandment number nine is do not lie. If someone lies, and we've all told lies, right? Raise your hand if you've ever told a lie. All of you not raising your hand. You just did it. You broke the command. Um, We've all lied. Think about the last time you lied. Maybe it was just a white lie. I think a lot of times uh, we lie just to kind of keep our, um, like who we are and our, uh, keep like, we, we don't want to make ourselves look bad. So we would tell a lie for our own reputation. And if we tell a lie for our own reputation, 
Well, then isn't that really like in the, like why we told that lie to keep a better reputation? Isn't that kind of like honoring our reputation above the Lord? Isn't that kind of breaking commandment number one, which is have no other gods before me? Aren't we kind of, in a way, making our reputation a god that, that we hold above Yahweh and we are in effect breaking law number one, commandment number one by having another God. If, if we have committed adultery, it's like, well, aren't we in some way holding uh, this God, uh, little g God of pleasure above God's ways and aren't we really breaking command number one, which is to have no other gods before me? If we keep the first four, then we have a chance, what I'm saying in a tongue-in-cheek kind of way, to keep the other six. The third and final point this morning is this. It is commandment number one, which we are focusing in on today, that says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. This is the Lord talking. In the ancient world, uh, at least reading through the Old Testament, and thinking about our cultures of times that have gone, I think all of us probably have this image in our own heads of like someone bowing down to a little golden idol, and that's what command one is all about. And and some of us in here might be like, oh yeah, easy, check that box. Don't have a little golden idol in my closet that when no one's looking, I go and bow down to that. Check that box. I, I don't have any other gods. But I want to argue, and, and, and I will share a story at the end here, that we all worship something. It's just a matter of what it is we are worshiping. We get to choose what we worship. And if it's not Yahweh, and if it's not this little golden thing that's, that's hidden away in your house, well, then it's probably something that we go to that we piecemeal together and say, Lord, you're not big enough. This is what we, we say when we break commandment number one. We, we say to the Lord, you're not good enough. I need this and this and this in my life. I want to piecemeal things together, and I don't want to actually hold you, the Lord, first because I want these other things. And that's breaking command number one. Jesus says it this way. He just says that you can't serve two masters when we go before Yahweh, he is everything. This, in commandment number two, he says that he is a jealous God. And think about that. He loves us as humanity. He loves you and I so much that he is jealous and he does not want to share us with anyone else. It is like the Lord is making a covenant. In fact, it's not like that. It is that. The Lord giving us these Ten Commandments, saying, I, the Lord, who took you out of the land of Egypt, in case there's any confusion, that's the land of slavery. He proposes to us this covenant. And in this covenant, it's like he has a ring and he is saying, will you be with me? Will you be mine? And to be mine means these things. Keep these things in your life. This is what a covenant before the Lord is like. And yet, if we know the rest of the story, we know that Moses comes down from the mountain. Joshua, if you read the story, hears this, oh, there must be something going on. Maybe there's a great war. I hear the people in the distance and there's this, this great noise. And Moses comes down with these rules. I mean, the people are still yet in their honeymoon season of being with the Lord. If, if you think about it, an analogy of marriage, the Lord is making a covenant with his people. They're in the honeymoon stage. They come down because they hear this great noise. And what are the people doing? Those of you that know the story. They are worshiping a golden calf. 
they have made this thing an idol and they are worshiping it, it would be like this horrible picture of a couple on their own honeymoon and, and uh, one of them runs off to the hotel bar just to find someone else. And this is what the people of God do. This is what all of us do when we break command one. We go out and we worship something in the place of God, we welcome something else into our lives that is not God, and it ends up destroying us. Here's how I'll conclude this morning uh, with this story. It's, it's of a guy who uh, wrote fiction literature, not a believer, but he says something that resonates with what I'm saying here. And um, his name is, uh, he, he's now passed on. I'll, I'll share a, a little bit about that in a second. But his name is David Foster Wallace, uh, a, a great uh, a fictional writer. Has anybody heard of him? He's uh, this writer who wrote in the late 90s, a uh, prolific writer in the postmodern world. I mean, this was the kind of stuff people would read these books and, and, and like twirl their mustaches and drink coffee and be like, what does this mean? And uh, this is so cool. It's, and it really was, it was, it was you, if those of you that haven't heard of him, he was very just shaper of literature, shaper of what it means to be postmodern. And I remember in, uh, let's see, I took seminary classes 2003. I took a class on postmodernity, the philosophy of our age, and the Christian response. And part of that, a big chunk of that class in my seminary was uh, postmodern literary criticism where we talked about this guy and the teacher would always refer to postmodern literary criticism as pomo-lit-crit which is really fun to say. And so I would say, oh, we're studying Pomo Litcrit. And then, what's that mean? Well, let me tell you. And I'd twirl my mustache. I didn't have a mustache, but let me tell you. It's really cool. It's, it's, uh, it's uh, great. So anyways, this guy who really is just uh, a former, uh, a, someone who forms our culture, did form our culture, uh, wrote these fictional books, which, which go on to just uh, to be pro- prolific for its time. He has a time at a college, at a commencement. He gives the commencement address. And he shares something where he basically says, we all worship something. Now, usually this guy was the kind of guy that was just secretive in what he was writing and people had to think like and twirl their mustaches and like, what does this guy mean? What is he saying? But here in this commencement address, he is very, very just straight to the point, tells it how it is. And it's something that pretty much I'm saying in this, that we all worship something. Now, as a side note, uh, he ends up uh, not too long after this commencement address, he ends up taking his own life. And I mention that here to say, well, it's something we need to talk about in the church. It's, it's in the media. There's some high-profile people. Uh, celebrities have taken their own life very recently, and it's something the church needs to talk about it. And, and so um, I just mentioned that here as a side note. And I, I really don't know what the um, connection here. I don't know enough about this guy to, to say there's a connection of what he's writing here and why he took his own life. There's mental health and depression, but here's what he says. So he's at a commencement address. He's not a Christian, but he says this. He says, there's something here that's very true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no th- such thing as atheism, which is kind of weird because he, uh, he didn't have a faith and a lot of people thought he was an atheist and yet he's saying there's no such thing as atheism, which really ticks off the atheist community after this address and people go online and it's like, what do you mean there's no such thing as atheism? Well, here's what he means. He says, there's no such thing as not worshiping. Everyone worships. The only choice is what we 
get to worship, what we choose to worship. There's an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God. And he, he's not a really a person of faith, but he lists, he says JC or Yahweh, or he lists these other gods. He says there, there's, there's something about picking and choosing this God to worship because pretty much anything else will eat you alive. Listen to this. This is from a non-Christian. He says, if you worship money and things, you will never have enough. If you worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, then you will always feel ugly. If you worship power, he says, you'll always feel weak and afraid. And he goes on to talk about that some more. If you worship intellect, being smart, you will always end up feeling stupid and on, like a fraud and always on the verge of being found out and so on and so forth. He lists these things. He says, look, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is that they are unconscious. They are default settings. So think about what this person is saying. That we all worship something. It's somewhat prophetic for for this world of post-modernity and him being a representative of fictional writer within this. So don't we all worship something? After this commencement address came out, atheists were all enraged. And so, you know, no, like we don't worship something. And they, they try to say, well, you know, you have to, to worship something, you have to go and sit down in a church and sing songs and have uh, uh, icons and, and this and that. But he says, we all worship something. Don't we all worship something? Whether it is these inanimate objects, money, power, beauty, whatever it is, we are all worshiping something. We are all holding something in our life of the utmost value. A guy who I really respect lived a long time ago. His name's Maximus. One of the reasons why we named our son, third son, Maximus, is because I was reading a lot of this guy. He's called Saint Maximus or Maximus the Confessor sometimes. He says this in a quote, since the soul is more noble than the body and God more incomparable, more noble than the world he created, he, like us, we who value the body more than the soul and the world Created by God more than the creator himself are simply a worshiper of idols. We are breaking the first command when we worship the creation. Hold it more valuable. Hold anything on this earth more valuable than the one who created it. So let me, as I close here, give you a a test, uh, something just you and the Lord to think about. If you want, you can bow your head and just consider what it is that, that you're worshiping. I'm not going to ask you in front of anyone. This is just between you and the Lord. But what is it that you worship? What things do you run to? What addictions? What, what things do we so quickly run to that we are know that are against the Lord and his ways, but we find value in them? And Maximus is here saying, if you find value in it more than God, well, then in fact, you are worshiping it. So would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray to the Lord. And Lord, we come before you and, and say, Just two words, forgive us, forgive us, forgive us, Lord. We have all, like sheep, gone astray. We've all, every single one of us, and it's not easy, Lord, to to worship you first and foremost, and we have all taken things ahead of you, things that you do not um, like, things that are against your ways, and we have put them in our lives as things of value. And Lord, we repent and we say, Lord, we are so sorry that this comes across as worshiping those things in front of you, taking them as a little G God in front of you. Lord, we are so sorry. And Lord, we receive your grace. We're reminded today 
that, that these people who were spoken these words, Moses uh, speaks to these people, and these people say, Lord, don't let Moses speak to us on behalf of the Lord. Lord, don't speak to us because they were so afraid. But Moses says, don't be afraid. And so, Lord, we take these words that Moses said to the people. We take them and say, Lord, let us not be afraid of you in such a way that leads to just shaking fear, but let us respect you in such a way that leads us to follow these commands. Lord, you are the great Lord. You are the one who takes away sin and gives us grace. And so, Lord, we give you our lives and our peace. We give you all honor and glory, and we worship your name. And everybody said, amen.